Um, let's stand and pray before we go into God's word. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I pray that you yourself would speak through your own words today, God. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we would hear what you have to tell us, Lord, and that you would receive all glory from our lives and from this time forever and ever, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to ask you all a question. Have you ever had a time where it was a little hard to take a breath of air? Anybody ever had that? Where not because you were underwater, but, you know, because maybe you're stressed out and you're just like, and it feels like it's, you know, maybe 60% capacity. You're, you're just not there, right? And you're like, okay, well, my next breath is going to be better, right? And then you try it, and the next breath is a little bit smaller, you know, and it feels like every breath is a little bit smaller. Anyone ever have that, like, tightness in their chest? I remember one time, uh, it was, I believe it was 2014, and I was going through the thick of it, you know, and I remember I was sitting here in one of our meeting rooms, and Matt, uh, the brother that just did the announcements, comes into the room, and I'm on the computer, and I'm like, just taking like short little breaths, and, and he's like, hey, Peter, how are you doing? I'm like, you know... Sometimes, you know, you take a breath and it just doesn't feel satisfying. And then, and then you'll try yawning and it also doesn't feel satisfying. And each breath feels a little shorter and smaller and less satisfying. And he's like, sounds like you're giving yourself a panic attack, man. You know, you got to take it easy. Uh, you know, we laugh at it and uh, he leaves. And, and the next morning I'm, I'm pacing around uh, in my house praying and meditating on God's word, and, and my thoughts are just, they're racing. They're just literally racing. They're going so fast that I understood what it means, you know, when they say, uh, you know, have you lost your mind? Like, I thought my mind was literally going to run away from me, and I would be left without my mind because I lost it. It ran away from me. It was going so fast. And then all of a sudden, the thought occurred to me, Maybe I'm giving myself a panic attack. Like, maybe Matt was right. So I run upstairs, I jump on the computer, and I go into Google, and I type in how to stop a panic attack. And the very first thing that Google, you know, gives to me and says, you cannot stop a panic attack. So, and that almost launched me into a full-blown panic attack, right? Because I've t realized I've lost total control. And uh, thankfully, I didn't. And, you know, things were okay. Things settled down. But I was, I was extremely stressed out uh, due to all the different circumstances in my life. You know, I knew I wasn't going to do well in one of my classes, and it was going to affect, you know, my grade in the class. It was going to affect my GPA, and I, I had to get a good grade in that class. And I felt like I'm not, I'm not going to get it. No matter how quickly you're trying to swim up for air, you're not going to reach the top. It's like that squirrel from Ice Age that's getting squeezed, you know, between the glaciers, and its eyes are popping out. That's how I felt. And it was in this moment that I needed to hear the words of Jesus that we see here in Matthew eleven twenty eight. If we can go to the next slide, this is going to be our passage for today. This is Jesus. He says one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. This is one of the most comforting passages that we have in the Bible, isn't it? And Jesus offering freely his peace and his rest to all who come to him, to all who are tired, to all who are weary, to all who are burdened. He assures us that if we come to him, his yoke, the yoke is the thing that holds the oxen, right? It's, it's, it's a symbol of hard work, of labor, of struggle. He assures us that his yoke, if we put it on, it is easy. And the burden that he carries is light. Can we just, before we go on, can we just, just soak in this truth? That this is what Jesus offers to all of us who come to him, rest for our souls, ease, lightness. That's, that's our Jesus, church. Just here to just remind us the simple truth that that's what Jesus does for us. Whatever it is that we feel like we are carrying, we can come to him, and he can carry it for us, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That being said, what I want to do is I want to really dig in and try to understand Jesus' reasoning, to understand his logic. What is he actually telling us, and how does this verse make sense? So starting with verse 28, let's read again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he's saying, if you or if someone is heavy laden, laboring, that means working hard, you're exhausted, you can come to Jesus, and he will give you rest. Pretty clear cut, right? Go on, let's go on to verse 29. Next slide. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So to take upon the yoke of Jesus, to put on, to take off our yoke of burdensome, uh, right, burden and labor, and to put on his yoke, that thing that, that oxen work from, means, it means to learn from him, right? That's what it actually means. The putting on the yoke is symbolic the meaning under the symbolism is for us to learn from him. When we learn from Jesus, that's us putting his yoke on instead of the yoke that we have. Next slide. He says, learn from me. What should we learn from him? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. So it's not just random things to learn. Specifically, he's talking about something very specific. It's specifically we should learn to be gentle and lowly in heart. In other words, we should learn to be humble like Jesus. Next slide. Why should we learn from him to be humble? Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. When we learn gentleness, when we learn lowliness in heart, when we learn humility, that's when we find the rest for our souls. That's that rest that our souls so desperately crave, that peace. Next slide. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember, we, we talked about, so his yoke that he carries, it's easy and it's light. And remember, what, what does it mean to put on Christ's yoke? What does it mean, church? To learn from him, right? So his yoke is easy and burden is light. So when we learn from him, we receive ease and lightness. And what do we need to learn from him? Lowliness and gentleness of heart. So if we can go to the next slide, we can see that there's actually a correlation between 
us learning to be gentle and lowly in heart. And once we learn that, we receive ease and lightness. We find rest for our souls. Those two things correspond together. So to summarize this passage, and it's wild because I had no idea that this was here when I started preparing the message. I'm like, I'm just going to prepare here. And I was, I was, to be honest, I was a little surprised to find what I found here. But the root of us being able to find rest, the, the root of us being able to find ease and lightness is humility and gentleness. Let me say that again. The, the root of us being able to find rest for our souls is humility and gentleness. Now, the question is, is this, is this just like maybe Jesus kind of just said this once, and, but he, he actually meant something else? Well, we can test this by looking at other passages in the Bible. Let's open with me, please. If you have your Bibles on your phone or, uh, or your physical Bibles, open with me to Matthew 23, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Open with me, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. So, same inspired author who captured Jesus' words here is also capturing Jesus' words in 20, verse, chapter 23, starting with verse 1. And it goes on to say, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, note that word, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, the word heavy burdens in Matthew 23 has the same Greek word, Greek root word, sorry, with the word heavy laden in Matthew 11:28. 28. It says, come to me who are heavy laden and heavy burdens. It's the same Greek root word. Okay, so there might be a connection there. And we could just stop here and say, wow, look at these bad Pharisees, right? They are such hypocrites, right? They create all these legalistic rules and, and, and they burden other people to live by the law while they themselves don't live by the law. Good thing Jesus came to save people from the burden of living by the law. And if we stop right here and we said that, we wouldn't be wrong at all. In fact, I promise we're going to get to legalism at the last half of this message. But if we just stop here, we would miss a very important detail that Jesus is revealing to us in this whole picture. What we need to do is we need to read the Bible in context, right? We need to read kind of the, the greater picture. What is Jesus referring to? Are there other, is there other meaning that Jesus has here? And so let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. So he says in the first four verses, he says, there are groups of people, religious leaders, who tie up heavy burdens but they themselves don't lift them with their fingers. They don't follow those rules themselves. And then he goes on to say, verse 5, read with me. Verse 5 of Matthew 23 says, They do all their deeds, that's the Pharisees, to be seen by others. 
For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And you're like, what are phylacteries and what are fringes? It's, it's, just, it's just a way he's, those are religious symbols that showed how spiritual someone was in that society. So when they see them, they think, wow, they're so spiritual. So he's saying they're acting and dressing as if they're very spiritual. And then verse 6, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi, that's teacher, by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If we look, let's look at what we have here. What Jesus is saying is the scribes and the Pharisees, they do everything to be seen by others. That's their root motivation. It wasn't just to give people burdens for the sake of giving them a burden. They did it to look good in the eyes of other people. And not to be seen physically, but to be liked by other people. To be approved by other people. To be accepted by other people. Esteemed by other people. So the root motivation behind the Pharisees loading up people with burdens that they cannot bear themselves and other people can't bear the root motivation we see in this passage is pride. Pride. The root of loading people up but not being willing to lift that burden themselves is pride. And how does that make sense actually in the text? Well, people who love pride... In other words, glory from others, right? And that's all of us. We're all sinful. We all have pride in different forms. And pride doesn't mean you're always like this, right? Pride can be, oh, no, oh, no. It can be this false humility. Oh, no, I'm, I'm so poor. But in reality, you're just, you're just trying to get more attention for yourself. That's also pride. And what these people were doing, the Pharisees, is they were using whatever means possible even God's own holy law to make themselves look good. That was the root problem. They were trying to look good by even using God's law. But what happens is that in their heart of hearts, what they really wanted was not to fulfill God's law. It wasn't to love God. It was to love themselves and their self-image. That's the problem. And so, if my root motivation is to praise my own self and to have me be exalted, to have other people like me and esteem me and approve of me and accept me, if that's my root motivation and I've got this law, then I'm going to do the bare minimum in front of other people's eyes, right? I'm going to do that which people see, but the other hard stuff that people don't see, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to lift it with a finger, but I'll make it look like I'm lifting it. I'm going to make it look like it's going to be a facade that, oh yeah, backstage, at home, I'm still that same good person. And, and that perception that they create of themselves 
for other people watching them and think, wow, well, there is these good people and there are these righteous people that are keeping God's law. But, they look, but those other people look at their own lives and they're like, but I'm not keeping it. And, and they feel this burden that comes down upon them. And ironically, the people that seen them thinking they were keeping the law, thinking the Pharisees were righteous, they felt the burden, and then, but they don't want to look bad either, right? So what do they do? The same exact thing. They start pretending like they're also keeping God's law, and they start pretending to others, and then others see them, and they feel bad, and they start doing it. It's like this infection that spreads, and it spreads to all people, right? Because we all have a sinful nature. We all have a disposition to the sin of pride in whatever forms that it takes. And so everyone is creating a burden for everyone, and, and everyone's trying to look good in everyone else's eyes, and everyone feels horrible, but no one's actually keeping the law. It's like imagine there's, you know, imagine you could look into a room of five people, right? And five men, they're sitting there. And imagine you could see their thoughts, and you could, you, could, you could see their emotions. And the first one's sitting there, and he wants to impress his friends. And so he starts talking about how healthy of a lifestyle he has. Oh, yeah. In reality, he jogs twice a month, uh, once every two months, for example, right? But they don't need to know that, right? So you got to spice things up a little bit, right? Make the image better, right? And he starts talking about as if he jogs all the time. And he could say, every time I jog, you know, every time I jog, I try to have good form. You know, I don't want to damage my knees. I want to have a good, that, that word, every time I jog, makes it seem like you're jogging all the time, right? No, he's not lying, technically. But he's creating a perception that he has this healthy lifestyle, that he's running all the time, right? Or I try to eat only healthy food, right? The word try is like one of the best words for lies, right? Because what does try mean, right? He could be eating donuts all day long, but he's trying to eat healthy. So everyone else sitting there hearing him think, wow, man, this guy's so healthy. I know I'm not healthy. And so the other guy feels bad and he feels burdened. And so he doesn't want to feel bad. So he starts kind of decorating his story and making himself look healthy. Well, I don't jog, but you know, I do, I do jujitsu, you know, this and that. And, and, they all start making things up. They all start creating this perception that they're healthy, but in reality, they all just feel horrible because they know their own selves, but they think everyone else is healthy. And even if someone else, even if someone's honest and saying, guys, you know what? I, I don't exercise. I don't actually exercise. In fact, he might be exercising more than the other guy, right? But he feels horrible. He's like, I don't exercise. I don't eat well. And in the end, he still feels burdened. Even though he's not lying, even though he's not putting up that facade, he feels horrible. And it's the same exact thing that happens with religious and spiritual hypocrisy. People, we as people inside, deep inside, we know we don't measure up. We know we're not good enough. We know we fail. We know there's areas, dark corners in our life. We know we fail. But because we want to look good in the eyes of other people, we start to pretend like we don't have any problems. And we create this perception that we're better than them and that I don't struggle with this. And what it causes is an infection that spreads to others who also spread it to others. 
So going back to Matthew 23, we read that the Pharisees were prideful. They loved attention, approval, acceptance from people, but they didn't actually love God. But they made it seem like they loved God because they wanted to look good in the eyes of other people. So what they did is they created these false expectations for the people that are observing them, right? People see, wow, they're living such a good life. And the people that received these false expectations, they only had two options. One is also choose to live by hypocrisy, or two, you just feel horrible about yourself, and you just accept being looked down upon in society by others like, I can't, I can't be that good person and I feel horrible. So going back to our original question from Matthew 11, what does humility have to do with rest? What does it have anything to do with the rest? And I think if we were to ask Jesus this question, he would say, everything, everything. Because pride, and this is the slide right here, pride is that cause of false expectations for which, for ourselves, that we create for ourselves, which weigh us down. John 5, 4, Jesus saying to the crowds, he says, I do not receive glory from people. And then he goes on to say, but you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You see, Jesus is humble because he seeks or saw only the glory that comes from God. That was it. He didn't seek glory from people. He didn't seek approval from the crowds, from the masses, for them to esteem him, to make him king. No, he ran away from that. And that's exactly what pride is, isn't it? It's seeking glory from people instead of glory from the only God. That's what pride is. And we're all guilty of it. And our burden in this life, it comes from us seeking glory and acceptance from people, pride. It's the expectations that we you know, we, we think other people have of us, right? Well, what are people going to think? That's what we tell ourselves. You see, the burden, it doesn't come from hard work, church. It, it's not just physical labor, right? I know there are people who work 16 hours a day, probably more, right? Six days a week, and they don't feel a burden at all. They don't feel a burden. They feel great. You know Why? Because he feels like he's getting ahead of everyone else. Because he's making a million dollars a month. He feels awesome. He doesn't feel the burden. He's exceeding those expectations that he thinks other people have of him. But when we want to meet or exceed those expectations that we think other people have of us, in order to be approved by them, and we, and we realize we start failing and we can't meet those expectations that society and that people around us have for us, that's when it becomes a burden, right? That's when we start feeling like a failure. It's when we want to look good in the eyes of people, but we realize, ah, I can't look good in their eyes. It's when we desperately want that approval from people 
But we realize that no matter how hard we try, we just can't get it. That's the burden. And you know what's wild? Those expectations that we have of our own selves, oftentimes they don't even come from real people. We just have these general categories in our mind of people. What will people think? What will people say? That's when life is a burden. It's that moment when we tell ourselves, I'm a failure of a dad. I'm a failure of a mom. I'm a failure of a wife, of a husband. What kind of employee am I? I'm not dependable. What kind of professional am I? What kind of business owner am I? I'm a failure of a man, of a woman, of a preacher, of a student, of a son, a daughter, a friend. Whatever failure of whatever expectations I created for my own self to feed that pride. That's the burden, church, that chokes us, that doesn't let us breathe. Literally, literally, it has physiological symptoms. And at the heart of those expectations is pride. It's the seeking of glory from people instead of seeking the glory that comes from God. Seeking that acceptance, that approval, that affirmation from them instead of from God. And I'll just show you one more spot in the Bible to show you that this is truly a theme. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor, right? Labor, work, and I will give you rest. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 says, Then I saw that all toil, or in other words, labor, work, that I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Solomon's saying, all this competition, all the people working really hard, trying to get ahead, get ahead of what? Get ahead of who? Your neighbor. It's jealousy. It's envy. It's trying to be better than your neighbor. And Jesus says, you don't need to toil to be better than your neighbor. Come to me if you are weary, if you're sick and tired of this rat race of trying to prove to yourself, to others, that you're somebody, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll teach you the secret of that rest, gentleness and lowliness and humility. So how can we be free? How can we find that rest in Jesus Next slide. Jesus relieves us from the burden of living for other people, other people's acceptance and seeking their approval. Jesus is the one who frees us from that. He says, come to me, not come to this idea, but to me, to him as a person, and learn from him. It's from him we learn how to be truly humble. And we've already seen this in John 5, 41. He says that Pride is seeking glory from people. And Jesus says, Matthew 11, learn from me. And in John 7, 18, he says that he seeks glory from God, only from God. So humility is seeking glory only from God. When we begin to seek glory from God instead of glory from people, we learn how to be humble and therefore we become free 
from the burden of trying to live for other people's approval. And that's when we find that rest, that real rest. <clears throat> Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. I think we, we use this word sinners so often that we lose the weight that it carries in the Bible. If we actually sit down and really think about, like, what does it mean to be a sinner? We realize that biblically, from God's perspective, the word sinner carries probably the most enormous negative weight. It's way worse than a loser. It's way worse than a failure. It's way worse than a nobody, a social outcast, a reject. A sinner is all those things and more. A sinner is not just a good person who's rejected by bad people. No. A sinner is someone who is rotten to the core. Someone who messed up on his own and is reaping his own reward. But that's the gospel. That in Christ, we are loved by God while we were still sinners. I can't overemphasize this, church. This is literally the greatest news possible. We are loved. I want you to just soak that in. Just let that go into the bottom of your soul. We're not just tolerated by God. No. We're not just liked. We're not just accepted. We're not just approved of, but we are loved. We are cherished. We are desired by God himself. Not just anyone who doesn't know us. You know, stranger, oh, you look like a good person. No. Someone who knows us through and through and still loves us. When we are rooted in the approval and the acceptance and the love of God towards us, when, when that is the soil that we are rooted into, when we seek only his attention and his acceptance and his love, we become free from the stranglehold of trying to be someone. We become free from the slavery of seeking approval from other people. People can love you. People can hate you. It doesn't matter anymore, right? Because my worth is no longer derived from what other people think about me and say about me. My worth is not found in those things anymore. It is rooted in the unshakable love of God, which biblically came to us before repentance. Before repentance, that love. With God's love, church, with God's love, I want you to have this freedom. With God's love, we can be the greatest failures ever. With God's love, we can be the biggest losers Everyone can hate us. I'm not saying we should sin and be negligent, right? That, I'm not saying that. Don't abuse the grace. What I'm saying is we don't need to lust after other people thinking well about us. 
With God's love, we don't even need to measure up to the false expectations that we created for ourselves. We don't even need to prove our own selves worthy. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. God will judge me. Again, I'm not saying we should be lazy and neglectful and sinful, but what I'm saying is we don't need to be successful in whatever sphere we feel that pressure in. And we all feel that. You got to be that good mom, right? Because all the other moms are doing this. They're taking care of their kids in this way. You got to be that good wife, right? And the expectations that come with that, you got to be that good husband. And this is what the good husband does, and the good dad, and the good son, and the good daughter, and the good friend, because that's what a good friend does, right? Good professional, a good leader, a good business person, investor, whatever it is that we feel that pressure from. We no longer need to feel that pressure. We don't need to succeed in those things for other people to like us or approve of us or accept us. Church, God does not look down upon us and frown. He doesn't. He doesn't frown because we're such failures. No, he has already loved us at our very worst. He's already loved us at our very, very worst. And church, I just urge you, Rest in the love of God. Rest in the approval of God that you already have in Christ. Rest in the grace of God. We all know this, right? To be accepted is a deeply rooted need for all human beings. I don't care who you are. You could be the most self-confident president and person in the world. But all of us have this need to be approved of, to be accepted. And in Jesus, we find infinite approval from God already. So let's read his words one more time. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Church, the Pharisees were people just like us. They weren't a special group of sinners. And just like them, we naturally seek esteem from others. And that love for approval from others is the infection that enslaves all people. And only through Christ... Can we stop playing the game? Only through Christ, church, can we stop playing the game. You can't just say, just stop seeking the approval. Just stop. Just be happy. You know, just, just drop it. That's not how it works. We still need to find that approval somewhere. And that approval should be found in Jesus Christ. You know, it's like, I don't know if you've had the privilege of observing like elementary school kids playing recently, right? And, and, and if you observe them, right, there's the, there's the really cool kids, right? And then there's kind of everyone else, and then there's like the nerds or the uncool kids, and they're kind of on the, on the sidelines, right? And you, and, you, and you realize that all these divisions that the kids created for themselves, they're fake, and not only are they fake, they're self-imposed by each person there, including the nerds and the cool people and the regular people. It's all self-imposed. 
And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, like, but what would it be like as an adult to step into the shoes of, like, let's just say one of those nerds, right? Like, how would I act if I was him or her, right? What would I do in that social dynamic? Well, we know what we would do as adults. Like, I don't care how cool you are, right? You, you think you're cool because you got those shoes, or you think you're cool because you're the strongest person, physically strongest person in third grade? Whoop-de-doo, like, you know, who cares? I, I don't care, right? I'm going to go do my schoolwork, right? Because that's going to matter more, right? Yeah. The reason we wouldn't care is because there's going to come a day when this entire social hierarchy will fall apart. It will crumble. In just a few years, no one will care who was the strongest in third grade. Literally. Do you remember? Maybe you do, but it's, it's, it's funny remembering that right now, right? You're not like, wow, that person's so cool, right? It's just, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, it's maybe a pleasant memory. And yet, and yet, just like those elementary school kids, we continue to play the same game, just with different metrics. It's the same exact game that we've been playing since childhood. It's no longer about who's the strongest physically. It's about a lot of different other things, things like wealth and status and how good of a parent you are and what other people, what your friends think about you and success and all those things. But from the perspective of eternity, we are like those kids. And from heaven, all these games, they look so silly and so small. When we receive our self-worth, not from people, but from God, that's when we're free. That's when the yoke is easy. That's when the burden is light, because you don't need to impress anyone. People can think or say whatever they want about you as long as you are right with God. None of what they think, say, or do ultimately matters. And lastly, the last point of today's message Jesus died so that we would also be accepted by God, right? Or that he died for us to be fully embraced by God. God already loved us, but we know that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And in Christ, we find that foundation. So Jesus relieves us from the burden of legalism. It's freedom from trying to be good enough for God to save us. That's what Jesus saves us from. You see, the Pharisees in their desire to look good in the eyes of other people would load up heavy burdens of the law on others. People would look to them and think the Pharisees are actually good and actually living by the law and seeing them, they were crushed by that burden thinking there's other people that can actually do it, but I can't do it and I'm just, my life is miserable. I'm not good enough. I'm not like everyone else. Jesus comes in and frees us from that legalism because as his word already said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, friends, we can never be good enough on our own. We can never measure up to those expectations. We cannot earn God's approval and love. We can't. 
all we can do is accept it by faith. That's it. All we can do is trust in Christ. That if I'm in Christ, I'm already fully approved. I'm fully loved. I'm already fully accepted and esteemed. Let's go to the next slide. If you trust in Christ that your sins are already paid for and covered, right? That is the gospel. That, yes, we are sinners who actually deserve the wrath of God because of our own actions and sins, but God has loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son for us who actually lived the perfect life, who actually pleased God. And we read that, right, in the Gospels when Jesus, we had baptism today. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, He came out, and do you remember what the voice from heaven said? Behold, this is my beloved son in whom my soul is well pleased. And if we are in Christ, then God looks at us the same exact way. And he says, behold, my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Because we're in Christ And he who was well-pleasing lived a life that was actually fully well-pleasing, and he went on the cross for us. And he who was well-pleasing was actually forsaken. He was left. He was abandoned, rejected, the thing we all fear, so that we can be approved, so that we can be accepted, so that we can be loved. Church, there's no work to do to earn God's approval, only faith. Real faith. I'm not talking about check the box faith. I believe faith and go on to do whatever I want to do, live my life however I want to live, not caring about Jesus' faith. No, I'm talking about the faith that loves Christ, that fully depends on Christ, that clings to Christ as its only hope. There's no work to do. Just faith, just trust in Jesus. And if that real faith is in our heart, we will do the work. We will do the work. No longer to be approved by God, but because we are approved by God. You see the difference, right? God's approval is no longer something we reach for, but it's what we stand on. It's what upholds us. That's the gospel, church. So let's read one more time in conclusion. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke from you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're weary, come. If you're tired of laboring, exhaustion, come. If you're heavy laden, come. Burdened, come. And he will give us rest. The rest we need, the rest for our souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden, it's light. Amen? Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, We come before you 
just in awe of what you've already done for us, God. Thank you that we are approved. Thank you that we are loved, that we're already accepted. And it's the only acceptance, it's the only approval that we would ever need, Lord. God, help us come to you. Help us learn from you. Help us have that true humility, that true seeking of glory that comes from the only God, not the glory that comes from people. Jesus, thank you that we can rest in you. Not in some idea, not in some advice, but in you, a person, the God-man, the one that has come and saved us, the one that has come and set us free. Lord, and I pray for those who haven't yet found that freedom in you, freedom from the expectations of others, freedom from the burden of the law. I pray that they would find it in you, Jesus, that they would come and find it. We thank you, and we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.